Hello everybody, it's now episode 8 of Business After Hours and I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, It took the help of his personal assistant to get him booked on but we finally got John McHale, the action coach, coach extraordinaire to get on the podcast. Uh, You've heard me name drop him maybe a few times in the other podcasts Um, but John is a multi-award winning uh, business coach He's helped all sorts of local businesses from big ones, small ones, and everyone in between uh, realize their potential and and grow their business. Um, John's had an absolute stellar year in the past past 12 months. He's now the number one business coach in the UK in action coach uh, circles, winning more awards than any other coach in the whole of Europe. Uh, We talked about that. We talked about all sorts of other things, uh, so much so that I think John told me to shush a little bit, stop giving away so many trade secrets. Uh, He, oh God, what else did we cover? Um, We covered a lot. So please plug in your earphones, turn up the volume and enjoy John McHale. So John, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, This one I've been really looking forward to. Um, We've known each other for a while, we've worked together. Uh, you're a business coach, which a lot of people find a little bit difficult to, to get the concept of what you guys do. So I thought we'd start there. What is a business coach? What do you do? And uh, why do you do it? Right, okay. Well, delighted to be here as, as well, Liam. Being always looking forward to this. Uh, what is a business coach? Um, many answers to that question. And if you look back over the last... 10, 15, 20 years, the the thoughts on what business coaches do and what business coaching in has been completely transformed, probably turned full circle. 20 years ago, if it was seen that if you had a business coach trying to help you, certainly in the corporate world, um, if you needed some coaching, it was because you may be struggling and you needed some help and you weren't good enough at what you did. Um, over the last 20 years, that quite clearly has changed that Actually, coaches now are allocated to people who are very good at what they do and businesses want them to be the best that they can be. So in the corporate world, if you look at the FTSE 100, uh, for example, in the UK, nearly every single CEO in there is coached at some um, kind of level. The When I left, before I left the corporate world, I was exceptionally fortunate. I sat in a very senior position within a company called Tata Steel and I had an executive coach to help me with what I was doing. And... Uh, my thought process when I was first allocated a coach was, right, okay, this will be interesting. What's this all about? Uh, and actually, two sessions in, very, very enlightening. The For the first time, you get the chance to talk to somebody independently, non-judgmental, who can actually start pushing you and asking you the questions that really make you think about who you are and what you do. So these days, um, yeah, still, all the FTSE 100, they're all coached, or the majority of them are coached. The ones that are not coached wish they were coached. And into the SME world now, what you find is <coughs> more and more business owners taking on somebody externally to help them grow the business. And when you think about that, why would they not do that? If I give the analogy of, or the example of driving a car, I will ask people, you know, how do they arrive at one of my workshops or seminars? And they'll say, oh, we drove here. And I'll say, well, keep your hands in the air if, if you received lessons in how to drive before you actually started driving your car. And obviously everybody keeps their hand up. And then I'll ask the question that said, uh, okay, who are all the business owners in the room? And a sea of hands will go up. And my next question will be, okay, and keep them up if you had any lessons in how to run a business before you started your business. And every single time, every hand goes down. So 
you know, people are starting to recognize that from a business owner perspective, if you've got an issue with your numbers, for example, immediately they'll get hold of the accountant. If they've got a legal issue, immediately they'll go to the solicitor. They're now starting to realize that actually, if I've got an issue with business, where do I go? And the realization that this profession of business coaching is getting bigger all the time because there's some experts out there who can actually help you grow your business. So I guess, yeah, that would be my answer to what business coaching is. How did I get into this? Well, it traces back to my time in the corporate world when I was executive coached. So just just to touch on that, were you did you ask for a coach or did someone say, John, you need a coach? It was muted that coaching was available, executive yeah. coaching was available. Uh, how many of the senior people would be interested? Um, the interesting thing at the time was quite a few of my peers says, not for me, I'm not putting my hand up, I don't want to admit I'm struggling. And I'm thinking, no, actually, this sounds quite exciting. I'm, I'm quite clearly going to volunteer for this. Yeah. And I actually ended up with working with a lady called uh, Juliet Lee. Juliet Lee was at the time was based in York, um, chemical engineer by profession, but now is a, is is her whole business now is um, life coaching, executive coaching. She now has a practice in Edinburgh as well. I, I'll probably suspect she's probably one of the best in the UK. She was amazing, and yeah, it was only two sessions in. I thought to myself, I like this. I lied to that at the time. I was doing a lot of work because I sat at a senior level developing people and teams. And How, how many people did you manage? Um, the, the last substantive role I held before I did some project work before, before I left, uh, I ran a £350 million uh, turnover steel mill with 419 people working for me. Wow. 24-7 uh, operation. So, uh, yeah, it was quite intense. Intense, probably a good word. Yeah. So 70-odd <laughs> yeah. hours per week and carrying a phone at all times outside of work. So, uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time developing people and teams and then starting to get some external help really, really helped to focus the mind and, uh, yeah, it opened my eyes for the first time as to what could be possible. What did she help you with straight away? Did she just pick apart everything you're not good at or was she uh, a little bit more candid? The, I guess the reason Juliet was so good, and I can say that now, looking back, having now done this myself for five years, the reason Juliet was so good was because she never picked up anything that was particularly uh, not right with what I was doing because actually the very, very top coaches would never do that. What they do is they ask you the questions that get you to think about your own performance and what do you need to do. So ultimately, the decision comes from within. The skill is asking the right questions to get you to understand where you should be pushing yourself or moving forward, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I've I've been uh, I've been subject to that Yoda trickery where you manage to not actually ask any questions, but somehow you, the person you're speaking with, manages to get questions answered. It's a very odd odd thing to describe as well as happen to you. Because um, we've done coaching together for when did you start doing it in Grimsby? Was um, two about, years, you know, three years ago. Three, three years, years ago. ago. Wow. So we we've been doing that a few times, um, and you are very good at the the getting the what's on someone's mind out of them without really just coming out and saying what's on your mind um why did you want to go into coaching what made you shift from an executive role at tata steel to coaching businesses um a, a couple of reasons and one of the reasons which is twofold was only something i realized after i started doing this uh, if i can explain that I thoroughly enjoyed working with people and teams and developing them. That was something that I really got a lot of enjoyment out of. 
then I started doing some work, working with some businesses, supplying into the business I was with at the time, which was Tata Steel. And I had an impact on what was happening in their businesses. And I remember going home one night and saying to my wife, Catherine, I said, I, I, I really enjoy doing this for the first time ever. I says, I, I'd like to do this for the rest of my life. Now, I didn't know what that, exactly what that meant at the time, but what I did know is that having gone through the majority of my career in production and operations management, actually to start working with external people and seeing, their, seeing them improve and their systems and their business improve, uh, it was the first time I, re I really felt excited, if that's the right word. So I wanted to do something like that for the rest of my life. And it was then a question of, right, okay, wh wh what's that going to manifest itself as? As I pulled away from doing what I was doing and started to look at what could I do, the decision for me then was, do I do this as John McHale? Can I build myself up and be everything I want to be? Or is there a vehicle already out there that I could piggyback on that would allow me to do what I wanted to do? So when I started looking as to where it might take me, um, I came across Action Coach, uh, did my due diligence on Action Coach. I liked what they did. I liked their business model. They did their due diligence on me and thought, yeah, John will be a good fit for us. And uh, went across, did my intense training. Unfortunately, headquarters for Action Coach is in Las Vegas. I had 10 tough days in Las Vegas. But Oh, really? That's where you went to do it? <coughs> That's not too bad then. We had to... But to be fair, it may as well. It could have been in Barnsley, Liam. It could have been in Barnsley. 6 a.m. every morning on the volleyball court. Do not be late. You will be fined. And Find what? Uh, Actual money? First fine, $10. Oh. Next person that's late was 20 Then uh, it went to okay. 40 80 The person that was fined $160 was not happy. But everybody then knew that for the rest of the 10 days, if you're late for either volleyball or for any of the sessions or late back after lunch, it would be $320. Nobody was ever late again. I bet. It's amazing what what a <laughs> final do. Yeah, absolutely. So those ten days were were fantastic, um, and subsequent to that, we've done a lot, a lot of further development work, and obviously started working with businesses. And I've reflected on my life and two events that I'd, I guess at the time, yeah, I knew about them and I knew what happened. They impacted me at the time, but I didn't recognise the the level of the impact until I actually started doing this for a living and. One of them was, my dad used to run his own business. Dad came from the from the west coast of Ireland. And like many people from across there, dad started doing some civil engineering and effectively digging holes with everybody else. And dad thought he could dig holes better than other people, so he started upon his own. And and he was actually, he was, he was pretty successful. Um, one time he took a job on, and by this time we'd moved into actually a lovely family home, lovely five-bedroom detached house that dad had got for us in Scunthorpe. And... He took a job on it, you could see it was starting to affect him. And ultimately he thought, not only would he lose money on the job that he'd taken on, but actually he thought he might lose the family home as well. And it affected that. He ended up in the mental health ward at Scunthorpe Hospital for a month. And he was never really the same after that. And he passed away age 67. Was it as a direct result of that? I, I don't know is the answer to that, but he was never the same after that. And a little bit later in life, my wife Catherine ran her family business which was care homes and we we're on holiday in ireland one year we only had three children at the time we, we've got four and the youngest at the time was three months old and that business was due to get a an inspection by what was then the equivalent of the cqc or the, the care quality commission and catherine was on the phone for what seemed like 24 hours talking to them about you need to do this this and eventually she just looked at me and said i'm gonna have to fly home and she had to fly home from holiday with the three month old because the systems weren't in place uh, well enough in that business for it to function without her there and everything we work with business owners and what we teach them to get in place is 
you know, systemization so the business will work whether you're there or not. And in both of those instances, it was a lack of business knowledge. And as I look back on that, I think neither of those things needed to happen. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> flying back from holiday because I guess there was how many people uh, in the company when uh, she wasn't wasn't there? Um, at the time, 25, 30, and she had to fly home. Wow. Um, we obviously, me and the other two children stayed and finished the two weeks. Yeah, that's, that's nice of you. <laughs> she took lots about, of pictures for her to, she, to she look does, at. She does remind us of it every now and again. <laughs> Did she uh, manage to sort it out when she got back? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, you must be pretty good at this coaching stuff because, uh, what was it, last month, most successful coach for the, for the annual award ceremony that Action Coach have. How many awards was it, John? The... the well, firstly, thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> the the when people say that to me, the first thing I, I, I immediately re reply with is that um, it was the business that I work with that win the awards. Uh, I just happen to be the coach that that uh, sits alongside them and pushes them to to be the best that they can be. Um, but in in essence, yeah, there was across the whole of Europe, um, all the coaches in the room with all the clients and businesses that they work with. And yeah, us guys in North Lincolnshire walked away with the most from the yeah. event. So yeah, it was- uh, Most it was, awards and most nominations. Most awards, most nominations, most finalists. And the previous day, <coughs> excuse me, the previous day at the, the coaches conference, 300 coaches in the, in the room. And uh, yeah, I got the gong for the best client results across the whole of Europe. So- uh, It's a pretty, pretty big accolade because there's a lot of coaches that go to that event uh, from down south. They work with massive companies. Um, you know, some of the nominations that come up on screen, the, the companies are <coughs> very, very big, well-established. Um, and the three that won from this area were uh, Fortis Therapy, Tillits and... Yeah, Fortis Therapy and Training, run by Alexis Powell-Howard. Yep. Um, Tillits, uh, run by a local mother and two daughters, uh, Melanie, Nancy and Grace. And a company from Curtin Lindsay, about eight miles from Scunthorpe, called the Music Dance Journey, run by a lady called Debbie Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic on the night. Um, I was there with uh, one of my colleagues and uh, two tables full of local Grimsby North Lincolnshire people. It was a pretty good night. It was a fantastic a good night. night, and we have to <laughs> say that as part of the shortlisted for uh, two awards was obviously Mr. Liam O'Leary himself. So <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say. You're very modest to not mention that, but I'll do that for you, Liam. Yeah, I'm very proud of, well, I'm proud of the award um, uh, nominations, but God, I want to win one now. <sighs> two years in a row nominated, so I'm itching to win next year, maybe. The you never know what's going to happen at the Business Excellence Forum, and certainly in terms of the award. I mean, the competition's very, it's very tough. You know, you've got some fantastic businesses yeah. there drawn from effectively across the whole of Europe. And you know the standard of businesses, just to get shortlisted is fabulous because it, 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 it really is that hard. Uh, to walk away with three winners, it's, it's just, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. So to get shortlisted for two it is great. And I have to say, I had an inkling that, that the, the Liam O'Leary and Laser Red will walk off with the best company culture. And I know you were close. I know you were very, very close. But uh... two years in a row, runner up. Mm, so maybe third time lucky. We've got a bit more th I want to do, we can do, and um, I'll get it next year. Uh, the, the, That's positive thinking. And I'll push you hard to get there, <laughs> Liam. So, um, I mean, other than awards, um, day to day, you're out seeing clients. Group coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching with business owners. Yeah. Um, what's the 
what's kind of the common thread that you find in businesses that, that they struggle with? Where are the key things that you're like, mm, I've, I've seen this again and again that people need help with? Yeah, the, the, that's, that's a good question. And once you start to analyze what happens in business, it's not that difficult, except it is because we don't take the time to look at it. So the reasons why people start up in business are, are many, um, but there are three that override everything else. And they are that technically somebody could be very good at what they do. So it could be a web designer, could be a architect, anything like that, like my dad, you know, digging holes. And they think, actually, I can do this better than the person I'm working for. So that's one of the main reasons that people go into business. The second one is that you either inherit, uh, you win, um, or you're made redundant and you get a load of money. And people look at business owners and think, oh, they've got a really good life. I'll, I'll start a business, uh, completely ignoring all the perils of starting a business and the heartache of actually building one. And the third one is it may be the family business and it's your turn. <laughs> there are other reasons that other people go into business, but they're the three biggest that people go into business. Yep. And in each of those things, I go back to what I said uh, earlier, you know, how many people have had training on how to run a business? And the answer to that is, is, is none or very, very few. So you go into this uh, adventure stroke journey, which you hope is going to give everything in your personal life without really having a plan about what to do. So they're the three reasons people go into business, um, but they're going in obviously with their eyes shut because they've not really analyzed how does business work. And then when they do get into it, lots of things happen in business, but the three biggest issues, again, it's three that we come across are time, team, and money. I, the business owner says, gosh, there's just not enough hours in the week to be able to do everything that we need to do to make this business the best that it can be, um, which is a really interesting comment. Um, over the years, I, I, I've got to the point whereby my response to that nearly every time now is, um, have you heard of a chap called Richard Branson? Uh, most people have. This chap owns four, uh, runs four one billion pound companies. He's probably the only person in the world that does that. And I say to people who say they've got no time, I said, Richard's got 168 hours available to him this week. How many have you got? Right, okay, that'd be 168 too. So it's not time that's the problem. It's something else. But that comes then towards probably systemization stuff, etc. So time is a big one. Team, people tell me that their, their team are... Um, how do I put this politely on a podcast? Their <laughs> team is not quite as good as they would like them to be. Yeah. Is, is, is probably the safest way to say that. Now, the guy that owns Action Coach Worldwide is a chap called Brad Sugars. And Brad says some fabulous things, but he does quote his dad when it comes to talking about teams and staff. And he learned this one from his dad. And I think it's fantastic. And uh, his dad said to him once, Brad, you get the staff that you deserve. Now, he took a bit of umbrage at that until he realized that actually you get the staff that you deserve because if your team's not doing what you want it to do it's not the team's issue it's the standards and the culture that you've set as the business owner that you allow to happen within your business mm. now that takes a bit of getting used to for business owners because actually as a business owner because it's never your fault so it's time and team and the last one of course is money i.e we're just not making enough money and again it comes down to do you know how your business works do you know what your business is telling you and actually do you know how to improve the number of customers you've got, your revenues and your profits. And most business owners will they'll say yes, but then when you ask them to take you through it, then it becomes almost a blank face, if that makes sense. So mm. time, team and money by a distance are three Bs. And the time one, I, I hear a lot. <coughs> you, uh, you say to clients, oh, how, how are you? And they go, 
God, busy. Yeah, no time. Too busy. Loads on. Um, do you think business owners do it to themselves? They make themselves busy. They take on too much. Underestimate how much time they've got. Because I know that's my problem. I am a massive pain in my own ass because I will say, yep, I've got five days and I can do this, 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 and this. And then I think, actually, that's probably 10 days worth of work. There's n- I couldn't have done it if I, well, unless I'd worked, you know, 12 hour days. The, yeah, it's interesting. The, the a couple of things on that. Most people overestimate what they can achieve in 12 months mm. and yet underestimate massively what they can achieve in 10 years. And when you start to think about that, you realize that, as you said, that you think you can achieve everything. Well, to achieve everything you think you can, you are going to need a lot of hours every day to make that happen. The other thing that happens with business owners is that if it's not quite going where they want it, or the business is not where they want it to be, they think busyness, B-U-S-Y, busyness, will actually improve the business. Busyness will never actually improve the business. You've got to understand, you've got to work smarter not harder mm. but when we say works man and that's a phrase that gets thrown around what does it actually mean yeah i hear it i hear it a lot it bugs me <laughs> the, the so what does working smarter mean well unless you understand how to move your business from where it is to where you want to get it to and understand the steps that you have to go through and you're following a structured process then it really doesn't matter how much harder you work yeah. you, you're not going to get there all you're going to do is you know to quote Brad, he says, all you can do, you know, if you're doing stupid shit, you can do stupid shit, stupid shit faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad, Brad usually does get straight to the point. Um, okay, so the, the time thing. Any tips for business owners who think they've not got enough time? How do they, how do they first of all, how do they know if they're working smart? The... the so when you actually start following, so we've got a, a fabulous, we, we do have a world-class toolkit within Action Coach to help business owners grow. Part of that is the six-step process that we use or the six-step model. And as you start to uh, rank yourself against each of the constituent parts, you can start to see where you're actually failing in some aspects of business. Okay. Now, when we first start working uh, with business owners, can I say to someone, if I'm working with somebody on a one-to-one basis, can I say to them, you know, next week, follow this and you'll start to get four or five hours back? The answer to that is that's nonsense. And if anybody out there tells you that that can happen, that's not true. What we say to business owners is that for the first six, eight, 12 weeks, you continue to do what you're doing, doing everything that you're doing, but you then have to take an additional five to six hours every week starting to work on your business. And when I say working on your business, it's starting to understand what makes the business work and what do you have to do to different parts of your business to make it work better? And then if that happens and you put that time in after about 12 weeks, four months, uh, three months, you can actually start to see some of the things you're putting in place starting to work. That then starts to free up some of your time. So after three months, you can actually start stepping back a bit and spending less time in the business all the time. So within a year, if I'm working with a business owner on a one-to-one basis, I would expect to be able to reduce the amount of hours they're working by at least 50%, at least 50%, sometimes even more within a year. Within two to three years, they should be down to about 20% of what they're currently doing because once you start to look at what you need to do in terms of systemization of every aspect of your business and getting the right people on board, so you're dealing with um, the, the team issue, which we alluded to earlier, and starting to systemize, it, it, it's, it's probably the least sexy part of, 
of how in, of of how, of growing a business, and yet most of the people I work with will tell you they probably think it's my favourite word, systemization. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I do love systems. You because, do say it a lot, <laughs> and, and and for a reason, Liam, because they, they they do work. And across the whole of the UK, in fact, across the whole of Action Coach, across the across the world, we're in eighty eight countries now. What we find is that every business that we work with, on average, you can systemize eighty percent of it. The other twenty percent has to be humanized because you need people to to do it. But eighty percent can probably be systemized, and yet when you first say that to people, no, you can't systemize eighty percent of your business. And you've you've looked quizzically there immediately. Mm, I'm I've trying to think. That. And <laughs> so I would say to you, from when the first when the phone rings or a web inquiry comes in, you know everything can be systemized up to the point when somebody actually starts designing and implementing a website. Dementing, designing, implementing the website, if we use that as an example is probably 20% of the whole press process from that phone call coming or that inquiry coming in to you get it out to the marketplace and getting your revenues in. The bit you can't systemize is what the guys do in terms of design because the coding might be unique for everything mm. else, but the process to go through can certainly be systemized. Yeah. Yeah, uh, systems do work. We, um, we've we Im implemented a lot of systems, but nowhere near enough. They don't cover everything. Um, but they, they're so boring. God, I hate doing them. I mean, some aren't, they aren't difficult. Like, uh, we were talking about um, a lockup procedure for an office before we, we came on the podcast and because uh, one of my staff had forgotten something. And, um, you know, that could be a simple checklist of point one to six. These are the things in this order and, you know, ends with lock the door. Um, and they're easy. Bit, yeah. bit boring to do, but take you half an hour maybe. Some of the systems, like um, like a sales pipeline system, can be very, very convoluted and complex, and lots of different. You know, if this, then do that type thing. I my mind goes a bit blank after about an hour of looking at piece of paper trying to draw a system. So I don't think I've got the right um, <laughs> mindset for it. So somebody from a design agency doing websites has gone straight to an if-then process. That's <laughs> a shock, isn't it, to me? <laughs> Uh, it, it's only as complex or as, as complicated as you want to make it. So if you want to see the, so talking of sales, next year at our Business Excellence Forum, we've got the we've got the privilege of listening to a gentleman called Sir Bob Geldof. Now, uh, Sir Bob Geldof has got probably the simplest sales process of all time. It's only got one step. And that step is, excuse my language here, is give me your fucking money. <laughs> and people did in tens of millions of pounds. It was yeah. just one lie. It was just one stage in yeah but i process. i heard he told a couple porky pies saying oh well i've got so and so coming to the event and he hadn't even spoken to i don't know um who was kicking around at that time bono or, or someone like that and then the, that person that was speaking to, oh well if, if he's coming then i'll come and yeah obviously everyone found out this out out this found out about this afterwards um yeah, I don't know. That that's a sales tactic that that, that, that is worked, a sales but... strategy that worked for him at that <laughs> yeah. time. Would it work every time? Um, Probably the boy not who now. cried wolf. I think someone might call him on it if he tried to do it again and again. Yeah. But how many how many live aids have there been? Oh, pass. pass. I'm really looking forward to seeing Bob Geldof next year, purely because at the event at Wembley Stadium. Uh, my wife Catherine was there for for live aid, and she she can't wait to see him next year at Celtic Manor. Just you know, it's full circle then from seeing him at Wembley Stadium at Live Aid to seeing him talk now about everything that's happened since. So. Do, do you think he'll talk a lot about business? The, I, I do hope so. Yeah. Um, 
the, the relevance of everything he's done to uh, the business owners that will be in the room down there at, at Celtic Manor, which will, be, which will be super. Three years ago, two or three years ago, I had the privilege of listening to Midjour, who was the other half, obviously, of, of Live Aid. Uh, he was actually in Grimsby mm. um, talking about what happened. And some of the things that he talked about were, were fascinating and, and actually eye-opening. And so that was a story in and around Live Aid and what they were doing once they went down to Africa and everything they did. But, you, you know, what's not to learn from people that go and do something for the first time? Pioneers, for you know, in essence. And you can always learn from something. I mean, the Business Excellence Forum this year, we had Sir Clive Woodward, you know, three hours worth of absolute gold. And I can't believe there's anybody in that room that, that didn't walk away and actually implement something in their business from listening to one of these people that done, you know, these, these super powerful things. Uh, so Bob Geldof's the same. You know, what he did and how he got everything together, mm-hmm. from, virtually from nothing. You know, he pulled that team together to sing that song, cajoled, <laughs> however he got them there. Um in a very short space of time. So if nothing else, it will teach people uh, on mindset. You know, people say, if you really believe it, it'll happen. You know, if you put your mind something and say, I actually, this is going to happen, you can make anything happen. Mm. You really can. Yeah, there's that film, The Secret, or, or is it a book and a film? A book and a film, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and that's all about positive thinking and thoughts and the universe coming. And I, I'm 50-50, it's a little bit thought, but you've got to put some some work in. I think too many people think if they sit around and dream all day, it might come to them. That I'm not saying this is you or any of the clients you work with, but I've spoke to a few people who are yeah a little bit too. Uh, they think it'll happen, and there's not enough action, um, which I know is one of the things that Brad Sugars bangs on about, which is why he called it Action Coach, which I thought was quite a good reasoning behind the name of the of the whole franchise. Um, he's, he's great he, he, and he does say regularly he, look I call this company Action Coach yeah. I didn't I didn't call it that sounds like a really good idea let's think about it for 30 <laughs> seconds co- 30 days coach he's, no I called it Action Coach and you're absolutely right the secret it's fabulous to watch it's about 90 minutes and you know if anybody's listening to this please do go and watch it but when you come away from that what you've got to understand is that dreams into things happening there's a step process to go through so dreams have to become goals goals have to become plans plans you then have to learn and then you have to put everything into action it's the action that will make things happen and at the end of nearly every coaching session i have my last sentence to everybody always is the true value of coaching is in the implementation you know i can't make this happen for you you've now got to go away and make this thing happen and it's the action that gets the results that people are seeing and the reason why the three companies, the three businesses won those awards at the Business Excellence Forum is because I know when I'm working with those guys and I leave them and they've got things to do for some of those businesses within 24 hours, they'll have done them mm. because they just go and take the actions immediately. And people say, how can some businesses be so successful and grow so quickly and do, you know, uh, well, the reason for that is because one, they've got a structured plan in place, but it's secondly and massively is the action and massive action equals massive results. Yeah. So how long do you... Um, I'm just trying to think. So if you're doing one-to-one coaching with someone, do you see them every week, every month? How regular are you? Uh, depending on what they need. Um, but the frequency for one-to-one coaching would be I'd either see them every week or once a fortnight. Okay. Uh, any less frequency than that, um, it, it, it lessens the impact massively. So, you know, if it was once a month, really what happens between each session, it's, it's too long, if that makes sense. So coaching works on, on different levels. One is the amount of actions that you've got to, to, to get completed. Uh, but then the second, the accountability aspect that says, right, okay, where did you get to? Where you at? Where you at? And in a month, 
it, it's just too long. Lots of things can happen operationally, financially, economically to businesses. So on a one-to-one basis, it's either weekly or fortnightly. And you do 90-day planning, um, which is something that was new to me. Um, just to explain a little bit about how that works, because I found that very useful. Just coming back to the the not enough time thing and underestimating or overestimating what you can get achieved. The 90-day planning, the quarterly planning, I thought was good because it's a much bigger window of time to finish something off or get something started. So how how does that help a business owner? The the, the So my, my colleagues across the UK and myself, we, we, we will not work with any business unless they put a plan in place. Because unless you're working to a plan, what on earth are you doing every day when you come into work? Actually, you're just doing what we, you know, everybody's favourite word called stuff. But actually, what's it contributing to? And the answer to that is is nothing. So if you've got a plan in place, at least you know you are working towards something. Yeah. Whatever is in that, whatever is in that plan. To kick every single business owner, the first thing we do is we'll, we'll, we'll set them off on a 90-day plan or a 13-week plan or quarterly plan, whatever you want to call it. Why do we do that? Um, well... <laughs> Dreams time goals times plans. So you've got to have the plans in place. And the example I use all the time, I'll ask people, anybody been to a wedding? And most people these days, certainly from an adult perspective, have been to a wedding. And, you know, why do weddings work so well? Why is wedding day super days? Because for days, weeks, months, sometimes years in advance, everything's been planned meticulously so that when actually it comes, everything works exactly the way you want it to. And invariably, they are super, super days. Um... I hope there's no children listening to the podcast, but in, in my experience, Father Christmas has never, ever failed to deliver. And again, why why it, why is that the case? And that's because as parents for days, weeks and months in advance, we've planned that everything's done, it's there, it's wrapped, so that when the children go to bed, uh, we put all the presents out and we do all of that just to see the faces in the morning, but we've planned it meticulously again. And yet this thing we've got called a business that we own, that if we fed and watered correctly, could give us everything we want in our personal life. The amount of businesses have actually got a plan that they're working towards is is very low. In fact, across the UK, as coaches, what we see is two percent of businesses only have a working business plan in place. And when I say a working business plan, <coughs> not a business plan that you put together when you first start out to secure finance. This is a, a a plan that you are working to to achieve during the quarter that you're in. So we do we take business owners away for a day, a full day, um, to complete a thirteen week plan. And when you analyze that over 13 weeks, if your business is a five day a week business, and I appreciate not all are, but just for illustrative purposes, five days, 13 weeks, that's 65 days. So we're taking one day out of 65, i.e. we're taking less than one and a half percent of the time of that quarter to plan the other 98 and a half percent. So we've got a plan, we've put it together. And when we revisit in 90 days time, the next quarter, what we find is across the whole of the UK is that between 85 and 100% of the goals that people have put down on that plan have been completed. If they weren't written down, would they be completed? And I would suggest to you the answer to that is no. A lot of the people I work with will, they know one of my favourite sentences is, if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. And a study of MBA students um, from the from the US, I forget which university they were at, but when they graduated, they asked them uh, what they were going to do for the rest of their lives. And 3% of that group of people committed to paper what they were doing and shared it with the rest of the group. 20 years later, they went back and visited that same group of people. 98% of the wealth 
was within the three percent who'd written the plans down on paper. That's mad. But as you, it is mad. Oh, it sounds mad. And yet, as coaches now across the whole of the UK, we recognise that when people are putting the ninety-day plans in place, every single person is achieving between eighty-five and one hundred percent of the goals that they put down. Now, Action Coach has been in existence for for a quarter of a century. We're here now for a long time, and everything is very structured. And we test and measure everything, and three business goals only per quarter, because mm, yeah. we've recognised beyond that it's too many. And why would you try and overwhelm somebody? Well, we wouldn't. So, maximum of three business goals. Yeah. And, <coughs> and typically, what what do you what are the most popular goals that people put down in a quarter? Are they pretty big, audacious things, or are they quite simplistic? When you first start to sit down with the business owners and go through, right, what do you need to put down for your 90-day plan? They find it exceedingly difficult. The first time they do it, they find it really, really difficult. They're not used to setting goals. They're certainly not used to someone checking them to make sure that they're smart, so they actually will work. So, you know, somebody doing it for the first time might put something like, uh, I want to increase my revenue. Well, good luck with that, but it's not a goal. <laughs> or it's not a smart goal because it's it's not specific, you know. We need something a bit more than that. So if someone was to say for the April, May, June quarters, quarter two, I want to increase my revenues by sixty percent on the corresponding quarter of two thousand and eighteen, we'd say that is a good that's fantastic. So what do you do in you're then working towards something that will give you something compared to last year. Very good goal. Um then you actually start to look at right, okay, what's the benefits of achieving that? Why do we go through the benefits of achieving a particular goal? Well, 80% of sales are based on emotion. So what's the benefits? And if you actually feel it and you know what it's going to be good, you know, why it would be good for you personally to achieve that goal, then there's more of a chance that you buy into it yourself as well. And then you start to look at right, what actions do I need to take? So we itemize the actions and then we put them in the relevant weeks that they should be in for the next, uh, for the next 13 weeks, if that makes sense. Yep. So the business owner does the plan. And then... Do you come down on them like a ton of bricks if they don't do it? Yes. Okay, <laughs> good. So you're, you're kind of there cracking the whip, holding them accountable. The, the For the people that we work with or the businesses we work with on a one-to-one -one basis, that's something that we see right. you know, either on a weekly or fortnightly it's, basis. It's the hardest thing for me is that if you own a business and there's no one above you that you report to, it's very easy just to be like, oh, I'll push it back a little bit or I'll, you know, there's... The accountability is not so much there. I try, it's whatever anyone says. Self-accountability doesn't always work. It's very hard. Um, so what are the sort of things you would do if someone hadn't done their goals? I'm interested in, in how you would approach that. The, 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 there, um, there are two answers to that. You know, do, do we kick people up the arse? The answer to that is we might do it once or twice, but then one of two things happen. They realise that actually... They're not going to get away with it if that's the right expression. You know, they've asked us for help to take them somewhere, which I'll come back to in a second. Um, but then the on the flip side, there are people that say they want it, but actually they demonstrate that they don't. So I will quote a company at this point from um, from a health and safety perspective, a company called DuPont, the world leaders in safety on big heavy industrial sites. And they have a fabulous saying that says, people don't hear what you say because they're deafened by what you do. So some people will say they want some help, but then between the sessions, they're not doing it. And that's okay because it's their business. But if in three times in five or six sessions, they're not doing it, 
at that point I will tell them that we are no longer working together because for that very reason people mm. don't hear what it's because they're deafened by what you do so they keep telling me they want to but actually they're demonstrating that they're not prepared to put the effort in and as somebody who works with a lot of local businesses um, you know my reputation in the marketplace I don't want to get diminished by somebody actually not doing what they're supposed to be doing so I'd rather not work with somebody if they're not going to put the effort in um, because actually it's not good for them but conversely it's not good for me either if that makes sense mm. so if people don't do it what do we do then well actually we'll stop working yeah and the reason the ones that do do it and they continue to do it is because actually w what they've got in place also is they know where they want to get to or they've got a very good idea on the, where they want to get to so there's a fabulous book I'm sure lots of your, your listeners will have read it. It's, it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by a gentleman called Stephen Covey. Fabulous book. Habit number two is start with the end in mind. So what, what is the end point? Why are you running this business? What do you want out of it? When are you departing? When are you exiting? You know, are you selling, etc. And once you start to understand exactly why you do what you do, that should be the driver to make you want to do every week the actions that you need to take. So... Is it just the coaching? Yeah, the coaching helps a lot. We do have a world-class system, as I said earlier, and that helps businesses to do the things that they get to a certain point point. they don't know how to break through that point, so we will help them with that. Um, and that happens on many levels. If you've got a business that's turning over half a million pound, how do you get to a business that turns over a million? And once you got to a million, how do you get to one that does five million? So the issues are always there within business. They're just different, and sometimes they're just bigger. Mm -hmm. And actually, how do we get through that? So we will help them push through all of those. Um, but the mindset of the business owner is that they want to make it happen and they've got a good idea where they're going. The ones that ultimately end up not coaching with with us is because they're not quite doing everything between sessions. And that's not that's not because they're not getting coached well enough. It's because the business owner hasn't really defined in their own mind why they're doing what they're doing and where they want to get to. But, but what if you have a business owner who doesn't really know or have, a, have a, an end in mind for their business? Because I know I've been asked in the past, you know, um, so I had a meeting with HSBC Bank. They sent some big wigs up from London to meet customers and things, and they came to see me and said, "Well, what what's the end goal for for you and the business?" And I was like, <coughs> uh, and I just kind of stumbled and was like, "I don't. I've got a bit of a three year plan, but end plan, I, I couldn't answer them." And I understand that. Mm. What does this thing look like when it's finished is an exceptionally difficult question to answer. And you can throw that question at any business owner and say, so what does it like when it's finished? And they'll just look at you blank because actually, one, they've never thought about it. And when they do, they've got absolutely no idea. Seriously, they've got no idea. What does a business look like when it's finished? I can't give you a definitive answer to that. What I can say to you is that if you can understand what you want to do in your personal life and everything you want to achieve and then tie it back to your business, you'll then know what you need to do with your business to achieve everything you want to do in your personal life. Because I don't care how much people enjoy running businesses and coming to work, we do all of this to allow us to do things in our personal lives. Because running a business, owning a business, should give us a better life. You know, it's one of the things that Brad talks about all the time. And if you can get it to the point where it's working and it's financing things outside of work, everything that you want to achieve you then tie it back and say, right, okay, so I need to do this with my business to get it there to allow me to do all of that. Mm. So business owners don't know. But it's not that they just don't know what it looks like when it's finished. They actually don't know what they want with their own business. So yesterday I was across in, in Manchester uh, working with one of my 
action coach colleagues and we're doing a 90-day planning session. What was really interesting, I was talking to a lady who owned a cleaning company, 70 staff, and uh, during the course of the day, she said she wanted to get to 120 staff. And I thought that's really interesting that she's definitive about where she wants to get to. A little bit later in the afternoon, I sat down with her just to go through where she was at and what she wanted to do. And actually what she really wanted to do was sell her business for a million pounds. And I said, okay, that's interesting. I said, what's your business currently worth? And when you actually start to work through um, what was happening with her business, she's got a good business, you know, she's got lots of staff, turns over 650,000 pounds. She's got a net profit of 160,000 pounds. It's a very, very good business. And she wants to sell it for a million pounds. I says, what's your business worth currently then? And she said, well, my accountant tells me it's worth 2.5 times my net profit. I thought, okay, that's actually a pretty good rule of thumb, 2.53. So 2.5 times 160,000. I says, what are you worth then? She said, I'm worth 400,000. If I wanted to sell it today, 400,000. I said, okay. I said, I would agree with that as a rule of thumb, 400,000. I said, how do you get it to a million? So, well, of 70 staff, I get to 400,000. 140 staff, I can get it to 800,000. And I said, right, that's, that's really interesting. So I just did a little bit of work with her and said, right, okay, what age are you now? This lady will be 52 in June. And ideally, she'd like to sell it when she's 55. So she's got three years and a bit to get a company that's worth uh, a million pounds. And I said, so you're still heavily involved? She said, yes. I said, so if you weren't involved in it, she said, it'll fall down. All oh, right, that's interesting. I said, what about putting systems in place such that it would work if you weren't there and getting the right people to work work it for you? And a bit of control freakism to, to let go. But having conversation with her she could start to see that if she could put these systems and procedures in place that actually she could maybe be able to step back a bit further and a bit further and I said has anybody ever told you what your business would be worth if it worked independently of you and she said no I said well we do a lot of this work with business across the UK I said so buying and selling business is not something we're alien to I said it will sell probably for a factor of six times your net profit I said what would that make your business worth I won't tell you what she said. The second word was hell. She said, that's, 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 that's a million pounds. Well, 40 grand short. And I said, yes. I said, in three years time, if you can systemize your business, keep the same amount of staff for the same net profit, but yet it works without you in it, you will be able to sell your business for a million pounds. And she just looked at me, gone out. And so business owners, business owners sometimes don't realize how the business world works and what they need to do to get to where they want to get to because that lady's perception was I just need to double my staff and more to get me to a million pounds when yeah. she can do it in three years by systemizing her business yeah I th it bugs me uh, the business education in the UK seems very very poor financial education as well but we go people are taught maths and English and all the basic stuff um, and if, like your analogy earlier, if they want to learn to drive a car, they go and do a test. But how difficult is it to set up a business? Uh, exceptionally. Yeah. The, the, I work with a local company, and one of the directors uh, is, is a lady. She's, she's about 28, 29. And when her mother said she was thinking about getting me in to help them, she said, what on earth do we need that person for? I've been to university, I've done a business degree, mm -hmm. and I've worked in industry for quite a while. What, what can that person teach us? And they, she came to see me for two hours uh, with the mother, and after three months in, we'd finished a session, and she just said to me, she says, can I just say, she said, I know I haven't said this, but when mum was thinking about bringing you in, I was just completely full of cynicism about what on earth can you do, she says, but they don't teach us any of this at university, do they? No. And the answer to that, scandalously, is no, they don't. 
No, there's a there's a lot of people out there who um, who I think get into business because actually setting up a company and being in business is very easy. There's not really a barrier. I mean, you can set up a limited company in like 24 hours. There's not really you're not asked any questions. There's no there's not really any criteria. Anybody can do it. I think you have to be over a certain age. <coughs> um, I mean, you can be a sole trader from sure you're like 16 or 18 i mean there's yep anybody listening to the podcast if you want to go and set your own private limited company go and do it this evening chaps nothing yeah. to stop you easy but it's that i think that misconception makes a lot of people think if that's easy then having a successful but well running a business creating a business growing a business must also be fairly easy the and yet the evidence is completely yeah. contrary to that. The the attrition rate in the, in the Western world of businesses starting up is way too high. Yeah. It used to be eighty percent had gone within five years. It is lower, still in, a, in it's still north of seventy percent. But that's that that's real families. That's real people that have been affected by starting a business. And you know some of these stories are horrible to listen to. That they've started out and they've ploughed lots and lots of money in. And you know you, you see families breaking up because business hasn't worked. And it's. There's no need for it. If people knew how to run a business and work a business, the the the, the failure rate would be so much lower. Mm. It's horrible to read. You know, as 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 a business coach myself, own a coaching practice in in this locality. Every time I see something in the newspaper where a business has gone bankrupt, my only thought is, bloody hell, I didn't get there fast enough. Yeah, it's it's it is disappointing. And um, there was someone I I knew I went to college with, and they. They recently published an article about they had some business problems and they, they'd had to, um, I think after two or three years, had had to go into liquidation and yeah, it's, it's horrible. Um, and, and it always seems like it starts off with something small and it snowballs and becomes bigger and mm, the, it's hard. I mean, business, I find business tough. I think a lot of people, and this is probably the same for uh, any successful person, they people say oh it, it's easy you make it look easy or it is easy for you and they probably don't see all the the kicking and screaming and stuff that goes on in the background um it's the, i think i can't remember who it was the analogy they gave where they said it's you know like a swan graceful on the on the top but complete chaos underneath trying to paddle as quickly as possible um and some most days i feel like that it's tough there's lots going on it's never a full week of plain sailing and this brings me back to a point that probably most business owners find one of the most frustrating uh, and hardest things to deal with is team you mentioned the three yeah the three things so team for me um, we've been growing the business i took on another business they had seven staff so i now it scared me yesterday when i worked it out look after about 22 people employ 22 people um and that's a lot of people to manage and lots of micro headaches to have how do how do you work with businesses who have big teams to improve that part of a business because i know whenever a lot of other guests on the podcast have mentioned team are one of their key factors that they need uh, to improve the, the the well firstly congratulations you know having 22 people is 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 way more than what most business owners get to. So well done with that. It is twenty-two mortgages to pay and <laughs> associated. Don't rub it in. The, the, yeah, that's the that's the the nightmare. You go to sleep with every night. The the, the the plus side, of course, you keep telling yourself that you are, you know, you're creating more for the local economy, which is exactly what you are yeah. doing. Which is that's a much better way to look at it than than, than oh, 
Shit, 22 mortgages to mortgages. pay this month. Yeah. So when we start working with businesses and we're looking to where they want to get to and invariably, you know, time, team and money, the three biggest issues. So team, is there any business that we've worked with that we've started to move on and started to grow that hasn't had an issue with their team or some members of the staff? The answer to that is no. Every single business we've worked with has had an issue with one or more of their members of staff. Where do the issues come from? Well, the issues come with change. Sometimes it comes with the communication of change, but invariably it's all in and around change. Now, the only constant in business at the minute is change. So people need to get used to the fact that the world is changing at a much faster rate than a much faster pace than it used to. As you start to change and grow, as you start to grow your business and you start to want to make it bigger, the one thing that definitely does happen is that the business owner themselves has to develop and have to learn and educate themselves to be a different person because the person that can run a £50,000 turnover business is completely different to the person that could run a five million pound turnover business so some of the people that we work with you know that their indicator of whether business was going well would be the amount of money in the bank you know for business that so one particular example we had somebody that that, that was their indicator they were turning over half a million pound the only measure they had was well, how much money we've got in the bank that company now every month has their monthly PL, they've got a six month cash flow forecast and they know their margins inside out because as it's grown to into multi-millions that business you can't run that business then so you have to develop as a as a as a business owner and a person as you start to develop and the business starts to change some of the staff that you've got who are comfortable with where you were when we first started out with these businesses they can't see the need for them to change they're happy with the status quo and as it starts to change and the business starts to grow and things start to uh, different things start to be needed those people they, they can't they either can't get on board or they don't want to get on board and one of two things happens and it happens very quickly they either exit stage left very quickly because it's just not for them or they get on board very quickly and really start to enjoy the journey so as you start to go through change that's when you really start to recognize who the really good people are in your organization and one of the questions i will ask uh, businesses that that want to start growing is so if I was to uplift your business here from Grimsby and, and drop it down in Manchester uh, I'll never ask them who would they take with them the question I would ask them would be the reverse of that and say who would you not take with you and okay if they, and if they can very quickly just say one name or two names or three names I know immediately that within two three four five months those people won't be in the organization anymore mm. because they're the ones that are already causing them problems and as you want to start changing things you know that they're going to be so this afternoon i've been at a business and i've recognized for probably two months that they needed to uh, allow a member of staff to go and uh, um, to go and work from their competitors this is probably the best way of putting it because that would be the best place for that person um i can't tell that business what to do but by some carefully constructed questions over the last few weeks uh, in the last week that person has now left the business but I knew that two months ago, but purely because when you ask that question, who would you not take with you? And they tell you straight away, you know that that person actually is going to leave at some point. Yeah, I've heard a similar analogy or similar question was um, if you could double somebody, clone them, who would you double? Because they're the ones you want to keep. And if you didn't want two of the same person, because it would create double the headache, who would that be? And that, if, that really does make you think, God, if I had two of that person... How much difficult would this job be? And I think, I hate the term out of the box thinking, but it is those little nuggets that sometimes make you just realise. And luckily, we don't, we don't have that um, that problem a lot of the time. It's 
you know, we'd, we'd double everyone we'd taken with, with us. Um, but in the past, you know, people who are no longer with us, yeah, definitely. If you said, Liam, I'm going to give you a clone of that person, I go, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank Please you. Please don't. So, you know, the, 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 there are places for those people to work, but they're, they're not with yeah. you. And I guess the other thing I'd like to be very careful of is that if you've got those people that you could clone because they're fantastic, they're the ones you want to clone and have a double of them. Lots of business owners, because they're these people are so good, and they've got some people maybe not so good, when they've got deadlines to hit, that person will already be overworked because you give everything to them, and then you give them even more to do to hit a deadline because you know that person will make it happen. You end up overloading those people, sometimes without recognising it, and what's happening to them is they're looking around and seeing the other people that are not doing a great deal, and they start to get pretty cheesed off. And actually, you could drive them out because they are the best people. Yeah. What you need to do is let those people that are not so good go and you know recruit better and get better quality people in so how do you recruit better the the uh well i, I like the way you're smiling when you ask me that question liam because you know what the answer to that uh, <laughs> the so we we, we 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 educate people to recruit via a, a, an inverse model so i'd like to have time to go through that on the podcast but it would just it would take too long to go through but you know traditional recruiting of putting an advert out and getting people to send CVs in and then sitting down and interviewing them. You know, if you think that's the way to recruit quality staff, you know, it's, 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 well, to put it bluntly, it's not. So we do educate, we do have a, what we call a four hour recruitment process, which is not 100% guaranteed, but it will give you very, very good quality people at the end of the process. Yeah, we use that for our um, office manager and it worked pretty well. She certainly wasn't the candidate that was my top of my list, but by the end of the process, she went, you know, she was straight up there. Um, and she's been fantastic. Um, Lucy, uh, who many of our clients and people visited will know, she's the first person at the door when you, when you visit. She's fab, makes you yeah, tea, she's coffee. Yeah, yeah she's, uh, she's great. Um, okay, so um, if a business owner is stuck, so they're just kind of stagnant, kind of don't know where they're going they're busy but they're not their business isn't growing how do you figure out where the the what is how do you find out where the actual problem is versus there's a million things that it could be i can imagine it being a bit of a needle in a haystack scenario where you're like well there's loads of things i could probably start working on but how do you define which is the main one that you start with the the if someone's decided that they actually want to start growing the business, the you'll have done some background work with them to understand where they're currently at and where they want to get to. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes it's 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 fairly evident what you need to start working on. Um, if 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 you're not getting enough uh, customers coming in, you've got either an issue with your marketing because you're not getting enough leads, or your sales is not good enough because you're not converting enough of your leads. Sales is a really interesting one. You know, I can ask any business, I can ask a, a room full of business owners, hands up who's read a sales book in the last six months or 12 months and very few hands go up and you think that's balmy. You know, if you can't sell, you don't have a business. So what you're actually doing to improve that aspect of your business and the answer to that is mostly not. Um, but it depends on which aspect of business they need some help on and sometimes it can be quite specific. If you were to look at what is it majority of the time, sales and marketing comes up quite a lot. Sales and marketing are the bits that but again, it comes back to, you know, what work have you done? If I wanted to be um, an expert on 
oil paintings, what would I have to do? I'd, you know, it comes back to the dreams times goals times plans times learn. I'd have to go and learn all about that subject to be able to yeah. become an expert on it. If I wanted to do something on marketing or sales, I'd have to go and learn a lot about marketing and sales. As it happens, I, I, I read a lot anyway. So, Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because um, Brad Sugars, founder of Action Coach, I kind of don't believe he, he does this, but he says he reads one book a week. 52 books in a year, which is, I read pretty slow. It's hard for me to read one a month. You do subscribe to the one a week. The uh, I, I try to. Last year I only did 47, but it's not far. <laughs> Only 47. Not far off. Oh, John. The, yeah. Let yourself down there. The uh, I guess I have a bit of an advantage as well in the fact that when we go on uh, holiday, I can't swim and I don't like the sun. So if we're away, for, <laughs> if we're away for two weeks, yeah. Catherine will sit by the side of the pool and bronze herself and do some swimming. And last summer on holiday for two weeks, I read nine books in the two weeks because nine books in two weeks. Yeah. Jeez. So during the year, I get through. Yeah, I get through quite a lot of reading. But Jesus, that is a that you must read quick. But it's it, it's it's but it's what I do for a living. Mm. So you know, if I'm talking to people, I've some if I'm if I'm. If I'm stood anywhere talking, someone talks and quotes a book and said, have you read such and such? You know, it doesn't do you any harm if you've read that book and you're able to talk to somebody about the same book because much though I'll read some titles that most people have never heard of, there are probably 50 to 100 books that, you know, if you were to ask uh, 500 business owners for their top three books, would you get 1,500 book titles? The answer that's no. You'd probably get about 100, 150, which would get quite a few. So The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, for example. Lots of people will have read that. Branson's book, Elon Musk. A couple of people on the podcast said they've read them. Um, which books are you a big advocate for? Um, I, 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 there are lots of books that I do like. Um, is there a particular book I could give you that, that would teach you all about business? Well, that, that book doesn't exist. Um, I guess... When we first start working with business owners, the first book we'll ask everybody to read is a book called The E-Myth Revisited. Uh, it's by a gentleman called Michael E. Gerber from the from the United States. And it's a, I mean, the subtitle of it is Why Most Small Businesses Fail and What to Do About It. And when we give it to business owners and they've read it, they'll come back to us and said, bloody hell, I, I think he wrote that book about me and my business. But because they've studied so many businesses, it, it's a really powerful book. And it gets people to start thinking for the first time that, oh, there are lots of aspects to business that I've never really thought about. It also introduced them to the fact that there are people out there who can help them because they've done what they've done. Yeah, You know, everybody's been on the journey of starting a business and getting so, why would you not seek help from people that have already done it? And the answer to that, well, you should do because it's free. You know, reading a book is free other than cost of buying it, of course. So The E-Myth Revisited, I think, is fantastic. Two books... Oh, I could name Liam. I could name lots and lots and lots of books, but <laughs> I, I think if I've got a favourite of all time, it would have to be um, "Turn the Ship Around" by um, Lieutenant David Arquette, who is from the U.S. Navy and was given the worst performing submarine in the whole of the fleet. And within three years, he turned it around and it became the best performing submarine um, because of what he'd done with his team. And as you go through that. It's probably the best example alongside the story of Ford by a gentleman called Alan Mullally, who came in as the very, very senior chief executive officer there, that turned these businesses around. He turned the whole of the staff around in that submarine. Alan Mullally turned the whole of the senior team at Ford and ultimately the whole of the com company around. When something's not quite going right in an organisation, 
be under no illusions that's come from the leader at the very top now as business owners we'd like to think that it's not us but hey you know mm. take your head out your backside it's, it's, <laughs> it's exactly because of who the business owner is everything is set from up there so turn the ship around by lieutenant david arquette it's a cracking read purely about because of what he did but the story behind it and how he actually got his team on board some had to go you know we talked about earlier that some some disappear uh it's brilliant um alongside that um i think purely from a pleasure perspective um but it's sport and business this one and the book is called winning is not enough by sir jackie stewart so the first half of the book is all around his his motor racing career uh which is fascinating back when they were racing they knew if a crash had happened invariably that person had died the advances in safety and i didn't realize he was so involved in all the advances for safety for drivers in cars and he's still involved today the second half of that book is all about him and his son um going into the business world and the ventures that they did and it's absolutely incredible stroke fascinating what they achieved right they had some fantastic contacts i get that but other people have got fantastic contacts they made everything work and it's it's, I mean, it's a big book. It's about 580-odd pages. It's, 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 it's quite a read, but it is half motorsport and half business, but it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I might check that out maybe for when I'm on a long vacation. Um, one book I really like, uh, and it's written in a slightly different style to most books uh, because it's written as kind of a fictional story, is Built to Sell. And that talks about, well, it, it, it's a fictional case study of a business owner and he has all the typical business problems. You know, we talked about most of them already. Um, and then I think he, he gets a coach or something in it. He finds a mentor. Um, and then he's, and then he works basically on systems. They might call it processes. Uh, you said you didn't like systems, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> I know they work. I know you've got to have them. I just don't like doing them myself. Um, but yeah, he, might, he turns it around and ends up selling this business and going through the whole thing. And I, I really enjoy reading it. And it was one of those ones where, you, you know, you're reading it going, God, I've got that similar problem and oh, this is how you solved it. So I, I definitely recommend that for business owners. It's a pretty easy read actually because the way it's... It is an easy read. story, but... Um, gentleman called John Warrilow is the yeah. is the author and I think uh, he may be speaking at our Business Excellence Forum next year. Is he? He may be, yeah. Oh, that'd be good. I know he was on the list to try and, and uh, capture to get there, so... I'll bring my book to get signed because I always forget, go to these events, the authors all have books and, so, and I think... I've got this book, but now I have to get I'm another to one again. to get it signed. Yeah, um, I guess the other book, um, just thinking about it, is is a fabulous, fabulous read. Um, was a by a gentleman called Phil Knight, who started a company called the Blue Ribbon Sport Company. Now, most people won't have heard of the Blue Ribbon Sport Company, but he did rebrand it and rename it to a company called Nike uh, a few years in. And when you read that, he's just another business owner that started out like you did, like I did, like lots of people in our locality here. Um, he just had a steely determination to get to where he wanted to get to. And, you know, for the first few years, he did some things that were probably bordering on the, this side of legal. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, that, is a, that is a brilliant read, absolutely. Yeah, I've got that. People keep telling me to read it. My problem is I buy too many books. I don't read one a week. Um, I thought you were going to say time. I was going to say, right, Liam, we need to rewind 50 minutes. <laughs> I have a baby. <laughs> So I have an excuse, um, otherwise I'd be reading. Um, although I do have, um, since the event, I, st- I showed you very briefly, a habit tracker, and I have this daily routine of, you know, my habit is to read at least two pages of a book a day, 
and usually once you read two pages you don't stop there you read a couple more and you end up reading 10 pages in and but the I find having a habit that's very easy to start rather than saying read 10 pages or read a, read a chapter and then you're thinking oh god I have to read a chapter now I don't I don't have time we're saying oh I've got to read two pages that's dead easy do that in five minutes that helps um so I will I am reading more super but I'm not reading a business book at the minute I'll tell you about that later um one of the things I wanted to talk about was what you find difficult in business okay so your business yes so it's mainly just you you have a pa i have a pa so what do you find is your what do you think is difficult about running your own business the so two things difficult for this, this is obviously personal uh one is organizing uh myself behind the scenes and uh recognize that that that's not something that i'm particularly strong at but i've, I've known that ever since i was in the corporate world First time I went into a new department, the first thing I would do was always get a right-hand man or woman that would make sure that everything got completed all the time. When you first start out in business and you're on your own, you've got no choice, you have to do everything. So there was always going to be a point in time where I, the first person that was going to start working with me would be i.e. A, a PA or someone to organise me. So that person's now in place. She's called Nicola and she's, she's fabulous. Um, when I say fabulous, yeah, she, she's... She makes sure I'm where I'm supposed to be all the time. She's, it's the uh, only reason you're here today. <laughs> she has organised me to be here this evening. I think I've been pestering you for about three months. The, she was in place two weeks. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. So I've always known that that was going to be the case. And I'm, I will have somebody else working with me as well very shortly. That's that's in the pipeline. So that's to help me uh, with the volume of people that are actually coming to the business now. So that was always going to happen too. So... Organising behind the scenes was, was always going to be a big problem for me or, or a difficulty for me or something that I needed to, to pass to someone else. And the other one is uh, sales and marketing. It was always going to be an issue because if you look what happens in the world, there are two things that happen in business that are very, very difficult to do. And one of them, uh, lots and lots of studies in and around this, and it came across this a lot when I was doing my MBA and doing operations management, internally in an organisation to get promoted to run the same team that you used to be part of is one of the hardest things that can happen in the workplace. If you get promoted, go sideways to run the same level of team, but in a different place, that's okay, because they're new people that you've not worked with. To get promoted internally and run the team that you used to be part of is an exceptionally difficult thing to do. And lots and lots of people don't make the grade, they don't make the step up. The second most, most difficult thing to do is people that have worked in the corporate world that have never had any exposure to sales and marketing Yet very good people, very you know professional, senior level people, and then decide to start their own business. Hello, I'm in that boat. So you've, you've had no sales and marketing experience, you start a business, and the one thing you've got to do to be able to grow your business is market and sell yourself. So it's one of the hardest things to do when you start a business. You've had no sales and marketing experience to get your head around it very, very quickly as to, right, how do I make this thing work? So for me, what was the hardest thing when I first started out? It was, it was sales, well, marketing. Selling now is, is actually not so bad, but marketing for me was, 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 was tough when I first started. How did you do it? The, so how, how did you get your first ever client? The, so we coach businesses, that's what we do, and everything we do with businesses, we are completely congruent. So we do exactly the same. So I have a coach. I've always had a coach since I started running this business, um, but I knew it was the right thing to do because I used to be executive coach, as I said, earlier so I know having somebody to help me behind the scenes and ask me the questions that nobody else would you said earlier Liam that 
you know, there is no accountability running a business. It's very lonely. You know, who's to talk to? And the answer to that is very, very few people. So I've always had a coach all the way through. And one of my first coaches, my early coaches, said to me, the one thing you, you must have in place, and we do this with all the business we work with, you must have a marketing plan in place. The marketing plan preferably would have 10 marketing strategies as part of it. Um, and that's very much like investing in the stock market where your hedge fund manager will invest in 10 different pots. Two or three that they think will fly, four or five dependable ones that should work, and two or three that may fail. But overall, the value of it starts to go up. And marketing's no different. You try your marketing strategies. The one thing we get everybody to do, of course, is test and measure. So whatever you're investing in any marketing strategy, you've got to find out why people are coming back to you. So we always ask the inoffensive question that says, do you mind if we ask where do you hear about us from? So my, my marketing strategies were, at the very beginning, were quite the, the three that I preferred the most were networking, running seminars for people to come and you know see and listen to everything we do, uh, and what we call bold calling. Bold calling is um, going around and knocking on business owners' doors. So those annoying people where it says salespeople by appointment only, you miss those. Out. So, you know, I was quite happy to, to, you know, drive up on an industrial state park up and go talk to all the business owners about what I did. And uh, it's really interesting. Some of the conversations that I used to get back then were really, really fascinating. Um, did anybody ever tell me to, to bugger off? The answer to that was no. The, the worst I got was one gentleman that told me that I wasn't his, he wasn't my target market. And uh, he actually said to me, he said, did you see my car outside? And actually, I did see his car. He had, he had a nice Jaguar outside. He says, quite clearly, I'm not your target market. And I thought to myself at the time, wow. Yeah, that's the worst I got. At the time, I was thinking, no, quite clearly you are, but I don't think you quite see it. But so <laughs> that, that was as offensive as it got. Uh, had some fabulous conversations. They were my three marketing strategies back then. Uh, they've evolved over time. I still do networking, um, albeit can be a social butterfly so I actually quite enjoy networking do I go there to actually find people to work with not really I go because I like to be the social side of life uh, my marketing these days is exclusively seminars and word of mouth referral uh, well exclusively the the and PR PR when you're working with businesses that start to win lots of awards the PR that comes with that doesn't do you any harm whatsoever and you know, why do the people we work with win so many awards? Well, first of all, they enter them. And the reason I encourage people to enter awards is because it's marketing gold. If you get shortlisted, you can put that all over your marketing material, over your website, over your email to say shortlisted for, you know, best company culture. So you can have that everywhere. If you're in the fortunate position where you win, you then become the award winning mm. laser red. You are the multi award winning laser red because over the last two or three years you've won. I mean, you were young entrepreneur of the year. Mm. In the last year, you could qualify for it, Lena. It's just good just time. Very, just very close. <laughs> yeah. Couple so, months, well, five months until D-Day, but, but yeah. You did it. So that's so. Once you start to win awards, you know, for the business itself, it's fantastic mm. because it's it's just it really is it's marketing gold, and people start to write about you. And I mean, recently there was an article in the paper because of the businesses that won at the Business Excellence Forum. Uh, I think it was in the paper this week. And I'm pictured in that, and it's a fantastic article. And people see that, and on the back of that, I've had lots of inquiries coming in again already. Because, so it is networking, it is word of mouth referrals, and PR as well helps a lot. Fantastic. So you don't struggle with team or time or money. The no, the, the my team's obviously not very big at the moment. Um, it, it is. It is going to get bigger. Uh, I make no secret of the fact that I want to have the go-to business coaching practice in Lincolnshire. So taking on 
Nicola as my PA was, was always the first step. Taking on the next person, which will happen in the next two months, was always going to be the next step. Uh, and we'll see what 2020 brings. But again, I go back to, well, not such, such the 90-day plan, but working with Mike. And my coach currently lives in New Zealand. So I get coached every Monday evening at 8pm. He UK. comes a long way. Yeah, he, he doesn't come. We, we, we do this via Zoom or Skype. <laughs> so it, Bruce, and he really is called Bruce, by the way. That's not made up. He is called Bruce. His wife isn't called Sheila, just to just to clarify. <laughs> but Bruce, every Monday evening, eight PM, which is nine AM New Zealand, uh, nine AM Tuesday New Zealand time. Yeah, the uh, I have anything between half an hour and an hour with Bruce, and he won't coach me unless I've got a ninety day plan in place, same as what we do. Uh, but he also won't coach me unless I've got a five year plan in place. A so, five year plan. Yeah, so I've got a five year plan in place, which has got all these, which is a forty two page professional business plan. Wow. Um, and it's got everything in there about, you know, effectively time, team and money. So uh, team and money. So what's the business going to do over the next five years and how many people will be in it? So and it's quite comprehensive. Well, one of the things that we do do is we help people put professional business plans together if they have to, to um, secure finance. Yeah. I mean, most people seem to only do a business plan when they're trying to get some sort of funding. Yep. Um, do you find that they are useful accurate business plans or are they just a bit of paper to try and get some money the, the is it a plan they can actually follow if they're putting a business plan together to secure finance it's purely a means to an end yeah and they're doing it for one reason and one reason only and that's to secure the finance that they need if the people that business that we work with that want a proper five-year business plan in place because it's going to take them to where they want to get to i.e they've bought into where they need to be in five years' time and the emotional attachment to it is because it's going to give them what they want in their personal life, that actually then becomes a proper business plan that they work to. My problem with business plans is you usually do something and then it gets filed away. How, so the orbit charts. Yes. Um, something I like because uh, it's quite visual. You can stick it on a wall. So that's quite cool. What other ways do you kind of do a business plan or help someone with a five-year plan? The... Depending on what level of detail they want to get into, how many people want a detailed plan like I've got for five years? The answer to that is very few. And when you're looking at putting five-year plans in place with any business, you can look five years out, but how much detail would you put five years out? And the, uh, how much detail would you put in place for five years out? And the answer to that is you wouldn't spend too much time putting a whole load of detail on it because a plan is only correct at the time of writing. And as you know, a minute afterwards, things could change. So what we really get them to do on the five-year plan is you have to deter them and define what you want to have out there for different aspects of the business. It might be financials. It might be the number of uh, people in your team. It might be the number of outlets you've got, how many countries you want to do. But then we bring it back. And the one thing we really do then is look at 18 months and have quite a definitive plan over 18 months. What happens with the 18-month plan is that it's not dissimilar to the 90-day planning, but you've got a full banner there on the wall, which is 18 months. And then you use your 90-day planning to feed into the 18-month plan, which will feed into the five-year plan. And then every 12 months, we do a complete realignment and update that process, if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I wouldn't get too hung up about too much detail in year five. If someone said to me, I want to turn over £50 million in five years' time, I'd say, okay, that's great. Let's distill that back to four years, three years, two years. What do you need to do really, really well in the next 18 months to really start moving you along that journey? And really concentrate on that because that's the bit that's going to make the difference and when you put an 18 month plan together what's really interesting is that the first six months have lots and lots of things in them for things to do and then months 6 to 12 and 12 to 18 don't quite seem to have lots of things in but that's okay because 
we're not used to planning that far in front. And can you really plan to a, a weekly level six months time? The answer to that is no. But the second six months will build on the actions in the first six months, if that makes sense. Mm. So <clears throat> it would be the vision orbit. So you can see the five-year numbers that you're aiming towards. And then we yeah, would have an 18-month banner on the wall alongside it that says, right, okay, a bit more concentrated for the first few months. Yeah, lots of paper on the wall. That, uh, I like that. Well, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> people are either visual audio or kinesthetic, and 40% of people in the UK are, vi are visual, so they like to see yeah, it. Yeah, I've got to, got to see it and see it on a regular basis. If it's not, you know, we've got a couple of sales boards around the sales team now, and, and if, if they're not there, it's very easy just to forget all about what that target was for the month or whatever they've got going on. So, so you're visual. I'm a very, very visual just, just remind me, where's your habit tracker at home? On the fridge door. Yeah. For that very reason. Yeah, I tried to make it the place that... And it's the same... Um, uh, I try and put things on walls, but where you're regularly going to see it. So um, someone gave me this idea and said, oh, you should put like a vision and um, like pictures of what you... Like a, uh, you know, like a dream board on the inside of your wardrobe door. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So I did that. And then every time I open wardrobe door, I go, oh yeah, I forgot that was there. So it's a terrible place to put it because it's hidden for 99% of the time apart from the one minute you go and get some clothes, which if you're me, you're half asleep when you do and then you just close the door. But so we in the office thought about putting like the vision statement, the mission statement, the, the rules of the, the, the business and stuff around on walls. And then I thought, where do people spend the most time not really doing a lot? And it's in the kitchen waiting for the kettle to boil or the coffee machine. Or it's in the loo. Yep. And so we put them in there. And it, a lot of clients go, that's weird. Why, why have you put that there? And I said, did you read it? And they go, yeah. And I go, that's why it's there. So, um, yeah, sometimes it's visual, but being clever where you place the visual cues. Um, and I was speaking to someone the other day and they said, oh, do you, um, this is, you know, you've got this goal. I can't remember what we were talking about. Um, customer service or something. And they said, well, where is that? And I said, well, it's next to my desk. And they said, well, is it a team goal? And I said, yeah. And they went, well, where, how do the team see it? I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to move that. So that would be my, my, my task for probably tomorrow or Friday is stick it in the middle of the room so everybody knows it's there. So, yeah, the visual cues as a reminder. There, there big, is a reason when you go into nightclubs why they've got adverts above the urinals because <laughs> yeah. you have no choice. Yeah. You're doing nothing. You may as well read something. That's there are always those bloody doctor ones about, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you incontinent or something Absolutely. like that. Yeah, um, yeah we're not, we're not going to lack for where to go for erectile dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they kind of knew where to put that. The trick with putting um, your dream charts, etc., in a um, in the in in, in a, a a good place within the home is and I subscribe to it by the way I have a dream chart of my own at home is to move it every two months so because well, otherwise you're snow blind uh, mine is uh, down in my office at the moment the uh, where specifically uh, right where I sit at my office desk it's right in front of me okay at eye level and where are you gonna where are you gonna move it to in a month or two the um the challenge will be i know where it needs to go next which is on the shower door in our ensuite so when i wake up in the morning and uh, and uh, go to the loo it's there in front of me but uh, we'll, we'll have a domestic challenge as to whether that's the right next place for me to go to <laughs> okay so uh other than that any daily habits or routines that you subscribe to that you think 
helps in your business? Uh, yes, is the answer to that. Um, there are lots of things you can read around how you can be a better person and how you can get more achieved by... <coughs> excuse me. Um, there's a fabulous book by Hal Elrond called The Miracle Morning that suggests getting up at 5am every day and for, for 10 minutes doing six different exercises, meditation, journaling, exercise, reading, etc. Now, lots and lots of studies in and around that. There are other people that say, well, I don't get up till 9am, I don't want to get up at 5am, but I'm actually more active at the end of the day. So is it the right thing to do, get, to do to get up really early? That's personal choice. What I would say is that if you want to get better at something, then you do have to do something about it and you have to do it on a consistency. So do affirmations work, i.e., you know, I am the best father in the world. Well, if you tell yourself enough times that you are something, you will actually start to work towards it, only if you could do the actions that are associated with it. So I could walk around my house every morning and say, I am the best father in the world. Um, I'd probably get a load of abuse back, first of all. <laughs> Or, or things that would say that's probably not quite true. Um, but, you know, am I the best business coach in Lincolnshire? Well, if I tell myself every morning, you know, I am the best business coach in Lincolnshire, it actually subliminally starts to, you know, sink in. And will I ever get to that position? I don't know because I don't know who else is out. Well, I've got a good idea who's out there. But, you know, what what is the best business coach? And, you know, all I can do is continue to work towards. So there's a reason why I do a lot of reading. So affirmations are the one thing that I do do that, but without the actions behind it, that, that they are senseless, really. The affirmations thing um, does does work. Um, again, you're right; you need actions. But what, actually, I read that book, and one of the one of the affirmations that they get you to kind of do as part of the five uh, uh, five a.m. wake up is before you go to bed say to yourself i'm gonna get up at 5 a.m i'm gonna get up at 5 a.m and you do it enough times and it does work i was very skeptical but i think the first night i did it i did that weird thing where you wake up at like two minutes before five and you're like how the hell did i know that um, and i'd never done it before and so whenever i struggle with something i usually try and just repeat it in my head now i know you've told me about this before and it's the um is it the RAS? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're the RAS, your RAS, your reticular activating system. That's it. So explain that. The, that's the bit of your brain that if you set your reticular activating, or the RAS as we call it, then it's amazing what starts to happen. And it's the part of your brain that once you program it, strange things start to happen or, well, strange, but peculiar. So the best example I can give you is... Um, what sort of car do you drive currently, Liam? A blue Skoda. A blue Skoda. So before you bought your blue Skoda and started driving it, how many blue Skodas did you see driving around on the roads? Uh, none. None. And when you bought that blue Skoda and started driving it, proud as punch, driving this great, big, beautiful car, how many blue Skodas have you seen since you bought yours? Every week. And that's because your reticular activating system has been look what I've got, this is mine, there'll be no others, and actually you start picking them up all the time. And anybody that's listening to this, you know, think about the last time you bought your car, and when you started driving it, how, how perturbed are you that lots of other people have got exactly the same car as you when you think you're buying something that's pretty pretty <laughs> unique. And another example, I guess, is that um, certainly from a female perspective, ladies that are looking to start families, because they've already want, they've made the decision they want to start a family, 
guess what they see in films nearly all the time and it's it's pregnant ladies or babies with small children when they're out in the car drive all they'll see is people pushing push chairs which which have always been there of course but because their RAS hadn't been set for what they want they just didn't see them because it wasn't on the just wasn't on the radar yeah so once you set your reticular activating system things will start to happen the, the if you set your rounds to be up at five o'clock every morning if you set your rounds before if you know you've got an important call if you're going on holiday and you know you cannot miss your flight you know invariably you don't need an alarm clock because you've told yourself that many times oh, don't sleep in don't sleep in you usually wake up half an hour before the alarm goes off anyway yeah because you've set this thing that says i cannot be late i cannot be late so yeah once you've set your rounds it works yeah, it is weird. It's um, hmm. now, we need to, to ask someone who's a brain this. scientist yeah, yeah, yeah. to find out a bit more, but it's interesting because um, that whole waking up, you know, your brain almost has an internal clock that's quite accurate. That really intrigues me. I, I, I want to know how that works. If anyone out there knows, please send over some details of either that or someone that does know and we'll get them on. But There you go. There's the uh, challenge, folks. You must know somebody. Yeah, I, I've, I've got to figure it out. It's... um. It's too weird just to be a coincidence. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to go over, John? We've covered a lot. We've got an hour and a half in. Oh, crikey. Yeah. Um, well, one of my habits is currently I've, I, I have to go to the gym. Oh, so. yeah, we were talking about that. So. Yes. So, so you're off on holiday in how many days? Uh, from now, it's 23. So you're, you have a habit of Wait, visiting my, the gym. Yeah, for 26 days in a row. Challenge 26, as my wife Catherine has called it, that says... We will go to the gym every single day for 26 days before we go on holiday. And that's tough. Uh, uh, Liam, seriously, if you want to talk for another hour, that's super because <laughs> it will be closed. I'm not getting you out of that. <laughs> um, I guess, <clears throat> you know, what else would I say before I finish? The, the Running a business is hard. There will always be issues. And probably the best business guru of all time was a gentleman called Jim Rohn. R-O-H-N. And if you can get any books by Jim Rohn, you know, get them and read them. They're fantastic. Uh, one of them, Seven Strategies of uh, Health, Wealth and Happiness. Brilliant read. Brilliant read. Um, but the one thing he always says was, uh, never wish things were easier, wish you were better. Yeah, I, I like that saying. So from a business perspective and from a personal and development perspective, you know, if something's not quite going right in your organisation, always just have a look at yourself and say, right, what did I not do well enough which made that thing happen that I didn't want to happen. What am I not doing well enough? So you always bring it back to yourself to say, right, what do I need to do differently? And once you start to do that, you become very self-analytical and self-critical and say, right, what do I need to do better? And it almost drives you on its own. To, to So you have no choice then. You go away and say, what do I need to do differently? And maybe you need to go off and educate yourself on a particular aspect of business, if that makes sense. And the other point to note, I guess, before we close is that, you know, how do you get to have a, uh, a successful business now you know define success first of all but what i will say is that the world is changing very very fast as we said earlier the one thing that will always 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 set any business apart is exceptional customer service or the customer experience as we like to call it and if you can work on one particular aspect of your business if it was the customer experience you know having exemplary customer service at all times people will come back People will pay you more money for that because it's just fantastic. And there are lots of businesses locally that their customer service now is is, is, is is brilliant. It's beyond brilliant sometimes. And when you get to that point, you get lots of people, as we call them raving fans, who will just keep coming back time after time. People say, you know, the high street's difficult at the moment. Well, it is, but not if you're good at what you do. 
and the people that I see that are good at what they do, their customer service and the customer experience is 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 that they work exceptionally hard at it to make the person, the customer, the very focus of what they do. It's their very being. It's why they exist. Any any big businesses that you have had really good customer service from recently? Um, or the opposite? Any bad customer the, the, service? The, I, I could give you the name of a uh, local business not to go to, but that would be unfair on the actual particular business. So what I will say is that Catherine um, got a new car last year, almost a year ago, and um, it was it was it, it's a bloody nice car. It was quite expensive, and handover. The garage that she bought it from actually has a handover bay to hand over your new car to you. And uh, they were going to do it outside in the rain because it was too much of a clat to get it into the handover bay. What? Yeah, so they were going to do it outside. So I intervened and rang up and said, I will be coming with Catherine. I expect the car to be given over in the handover bay because Catherine visited earlier and they said, you know, we'll see you when you get here. The car will be outside. And it was chucking it down. So they obviously listened to the phone call, except they didn't because when we got there, they actually had put the car in the handover bay but when we went in, all the water on it had just dropped on the... There's just puddles everywhere in the handover bay because they didn't even valet the car just to dry it off when we got to pick the car up. So when we went into the handover bay, there was just a pool of water on the floor mm. before we even got into the car. And you think, you know, this is a lot of money for a car. Do you think we'll ever, ever come back here again? The answer to that is no way. That's works. a really stupid uh, thing that ruins the experience because it's not even related to the car. It's um, just a you know two second job to clean it up yeah, we picked the car up at 20 past five why didn't you at least drive the car yeah. oh, the guys down out the back finished at five o'clock well hang on sorry are you not capable of actually just getting a, a yeah. cloth and drying it off just a tiny little thing yeah. yeah it does spoil it i think that's the biggest thing with customer service um all the customer experiences it's very hard to get it right every time but it's very easy to screw it up once more you know once or a couple of times yeah. it's, it's not that difficult to do it so it takes a long time to build a bloody good reputation but very you can you can well this is my question it very how quickly. do you build a, a a kind of um a customer service or a customer experience that is great every single time uh, well that's easy Liam. don't say it systems <laughs> <laughs> you you put the systems in place and employ the right people and it will happen time after time the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group, fabulous example, where <coughs> a couple had visited the Ritz-Carlton in London, and the next time they visited the Ritz-Carlton Hotel was overseas, and when they pulled up at the hotel and the commissioner came out to get them out of the taxi, uh, as they came out of the taxi, they just said, ah, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, great to have you back at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. And so that's the first greeting when they get there. He then goes into the boot to get their suitcases. They've already started to walk into the hotel. They've gone through the revolving doors, and between leaving the revolving doors and getting to the reception counter, one of the staff in the hotel had walked past them and said, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, great to have you back at the Ritz-Carlton Group. Thank you for coming back. How does that happen? Wow. Well, that happens because they've got a contract with the taxi company that they will radio in advance and tell the commissioner who's in the taxi. So when they get there, they know it's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And as the commissioner then is getting their suitcases out of the boot, he's on his internal radio to say, Mr. and Mrs. Smith coming in. Mr. Smith's got a blue blazer with white uh, trousers and Mrs. Smith's wearing a long flowing green dress. The staff don't need to know who they are personally. They know which couple are Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So one person will deliberately walk past and say, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, great to have you back. 
before they even get to the reception counter, they're blown away. Mm. That's the system that's put in place and people following the system that's been put in place. Yeah, small things as well, though. Yeah, but exceptional. Mm. Now, I haven't seen this one, but one or two of my colleagues have been in, in a, a really good restaurant and they've eight of them dining and the waitress has taken the order for starters and main course uh, for eight people and written nothing down. Uh, written what? nothing down. Took all their orders? Took the starters and the main course and written nothing down, just listened to all of it. Then disappeared. The first time it happened, one of my colleagues said, well, this is going to be a bit of a mess, isn't it? The starters came out, every single one was put in front of the right person. And when the mains came out, again, every single one went to the right person. She didn't She didn't ask No. Who, who's ordered the fish? No, they just came and put them in front of the right person. And that's done by having a recording device and being stood close enough to be able to listen to what people are saying. And as it's been done, she's asking in an order around the table so they know which one should be going where. Ah, uh, okay. But Clever. all you see, of course, is somebody not writing anything down and thinking, well, this is going to be a bit of a catastrophe, isn't it? But but when it comes out and it happens, you just think to yourself, wow. Restaurants are probably the, uh, whenever I've been out, they're the places that usually have customer service that falls apart the fastest, where there are the little things like that, yep. where um, you've given someone an order and they are writing it down and it comes out and it's wrong, it's missing something, or, or they don't all come out together and... It is a logistic. I know it's a logistical nightmare being in. Don't make excuses for restaurants. <laughs> I'm sure it's hard. I I struggle with cooking, just for me and my wife. Um, but I think, yeah, I would freak out if that happened and someone didn't actually write anything down. But I've seen a lot of people doing it with tablets now and yes. using technology to to do it. But I've never ever been anywhere where they've just come and put the what your order in front of you and someone else is ordering in front of them that's clever without even asking who ordered this problem is if if i went out with some of my family members they wouldn't stick to the order around the table they'd be messing that up so hopefully they're quite good at shutting people down be like no you're 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 third wait right. for your turn <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah the customer service is a big one um we we're really trying to improve it but yeah it's it's hard and we only, only if you believe it's hard well no it it's it's hard when you don't have uh, a system that thinks of everything um, and that's what we're finding is that you can plan for the best case the best you know from taking a client uh, taking a lead all the way through to becoming a client all the way through to delivering a project all the aftercare the annual stuff like that's if it all goes smoothly but say this happens halfway through the person that you were dealing with the, the on, on that business leaves and gets replaced by someone else halfway through a project and they've not had all that. And it's those little things that we're starting to think, right, okay, well, now we have to think if that happens in the future, how will we deal with it? And this is where, and this drives me balmy, is that system goes from being quite simple to now this big kind of, if this happens, you've got all these other things you need to go back and do. And uh, it's just a... So let me take you back to um, Sir Bob Geldof's system of, <laughs> okay. of just one step. The So what you're saying there, first of all, having that system in place from start to finish is exactly the right thing to have in place. Just because something happens externally, your internal system should not change because actually all you're trying to do is cover every single eventuality. The very fact you've got that systemization in place means that you know, 99 times out of 100 it will work. That one time where if that person changes at the other organization, 
just sit down with them, explain to them what your process is, where you've been and what's going to happen going forward. Your processes are quite clearly very good already. Yeah, refining them all the time is absolutely the right thing to do. Continual improvement, always, always, always. But if you try to systemize for every eventuality, you'd never actually, you'd never ever finish systemizing your business. And we would never advocate, but you, you cannot get perfection to cover every eventuality. It's just not going to happen. Consistency of a experience that is of a very, very high level. If it's happening 99 times out of 100, you know, that, that you are way beyond most of your competition. Could it still be improved? Yes. You know, but who are you comparing yourself against? Will people buy from you because of your level of service? The answer to that is yes. You know, the 100% bit, I, I wouldn't necessarily, it's almost like Nirvana. Not the band. Not the band. Okay. Um, so, John, um, where can people find out more information about John Systemize Mikhail? John, yeah, John Systemize Mikhail. <laughs> I like that. Thank you, Liam. Um, the website, you know, just type John McHale into Google Action Coach and my website will come up. All my details are on there. You can contact me via the website. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook and I'm on Twitter. Uh, shortly to go on to Insta as well as... Uh, <gasps> yeah. God, you're getting, you're getting modern now, John. I know, I know. The, the, it's, uh, there is an advantage to having four children. They, 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 so you're not on Insta yet, Dad. Right, okay, it's coming. So yeah. Insta is coming. But yeah, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, website. You can get me via all of those. And you know, if anybody can't find me through those, you know, put John McHale Action Coach into Google. And failing all of that, you know, contact a gentleman called Liam O'Leary and I'm sure Liam will put you in contact with I'll me. I'll put all the details in the, in the show notes. Right, I think that's a wrap. Super. Lovely. I enjoyed this. Good chat, John. Lots of business tips. Great. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, look forward to doing one of these again in the future, Liam. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks. Great. Cheers.